Welcome. I'm Dr. Suzanne Snyder with the GMHC 2020 session entitled Medicine, Missions, and Motherhood. Can it be done? Before I introduce myself and tell my story, I would like to ask some questions for you to consider. First, are you a health professional or training for a career in healthcare, either as a doctor, nurse, nurse practitioner, PA, maybe pharmacist, dentist, physical therapist, or other healthcare profession? Are you married or hoping someday to be married? Are you a mother, a parent, or hoping that motherhood will someday be in your future? Are you considering mission work, either on a long-term or short-term basis? And lastly, have you ever wondered, how is this ever going to work? How am I going to be a health professional and have a family and be a missionary? Is it even possible to combine all these roles? When I talk to medical students and residents about missions, they often have these questions. And honestly, even after 30 years into my medical career, I still find that balancing medicine, family, and missions is a real challenge. I've been invited to share my story, and through it, some of the lessons I have learned from 30 years in medicine, 30 years as a mother, and 16 years on the mission field. Not that I have all the answers, I don't. And not that I did everything right, because I didn't. But hopefully, I can give you some encouragement. By telling you some of the things that worked for my family, and some of the things that didn't work, you might learn from my experience, and even from my mistakes. Hopefully, by sharing my experiences and some of the lessons learned in the journey to combine medicine missions and motherhood, you can see how God can work out a seemingly impossible situation and that whatever you give to him, your life, your career, and your family, he will bless it far more than you could ever imagine. I have nothing to disclose. So let me introduce myself. I'm Dr. Suzanne Snyder. Currently, I'm an emergency room physician in Columbus, Ohio, and married to a delightful Christian husband, Jason Estep. I have two married daughters, Lauren, who's 27, and Rebecca, who's 30, and has three little boys of her own. In a previous season of life, I served as a medical missionary with Christian Missionary Fellowship in Kenya, East Africa. I lived and worked for 15 years among the Maasai people. My family at that time was on a team of families involved in evangelism, church planting, and Christian leadership development. I was the only physician on the team, so our family was primarily responsible for the medical ministry of our team, which involved overseeing nine bush clinics in remote locations of southwest Kenya. My first husband, Dave Snyder, was an ordained minister. We met in college. And as we dated and considered marriage and our future together, one of our primary goals was to combine our careers in ministry and medicine. 
while in college, we went to Haiti on a Christmas break mission trip. We worked at an orphanage, which had a church and medical clinic side by side under the same roof. And to me, it was a very tangible example of how medicine and ministry really can go hand in hand. I've since gone on numerous short-term medical mission trips where a clinic is hosted inside a church as a means for the church to reach out to the community. Medicine is a very powerful way to demonstrate God's love to people and therefore preach the gospel. Medicine opens doors to communities and to people's hearts. Providing excellent medical care gives credibility and gains a platform to speak on other matters. Heart matters. Spiritual matters. While the American medical culture tends to segregate medicine and ministry separately, on the mission field, medicine and ministry flow more easily together. As we explored our calling to missions, we debated going independently or with a mission organization. I had grown up in a church that supported independent missionaries, and my dad was a forwarding agent for a family in Brazil. But I had seen time and time again how different financial crises came up, and it was really hard because they didn't have a supporting organization as a safety net. With that experience, my husband and I decided we wanted to go with an organization. So then the question was, which one? As you can tell from the exhibit hall, there are hundreds to choose from. Christian Missionary Fellowship was a mission agency supported by our home church. So already familiar with this agency, and it being the same church group and theological background, we decided to approach them first with the question, could you use a doctor and a minister? And where? They said yes, and Kenya was the immediate reply. During medical school, we took a two-month internship to Kenya to check it out. The ministry, the people group, the team, and came back feeling confirmed that yes, Kenya and service to the Maasai people was where God was leading us. So five years later, after completing the graduate degrees, which included medical school at the University of Texas in Houston and the MedPeds residency at Vanderbilt University Med Center, we left for the mission field. When we arrived in Kenya, our first job was to learn the language and we spent the first year in language and culture study. Not attending a language school, but living in a Maasai village and immersing ourselves in their culture, learning the language Ma through a language helper and daily routes of walking through the villages and talking to people. After the first year in Kenya, we moved to our bush ministry site and we thought we had arrived. This was the house that we had the fortune of living in. After all the training, preparation, and language study, we were finally true missionaries, and we were ready to begin full-time ministry. We and our team had some assumptions. Dave was to lead the church, preach on Sundays, and teach Bible studies to different villages every day. I was to work in the clinics and continue their oversight and maintenance. Hey, it was two missionaries for the price of one. It sounded like a great plan. But it didn't work, and a deluge of lessons to be learned rained upon our heads. Who was supposed to do the homeschooling of our children? 
Who was supposed to do the laundry and the cooking? Who was supposed to keep the household together? What we hadn't factored into the equation was what I've come to refer to as the supportive spouse role. The take-home message is that the supportive spouse role is a worthwhile job. It's a valid role and it's an essential one. It's not just important, it's crucial. It's vital, somebody's got to do it. And the person who does it, whether husband or wife, is not a second-rate citizen. Because it's a valid role within any marriage, and the first step is to recognize the validity of the supportive spouse role. Furthermore, the supportive spouse role is a full-time job. It requires 100%. It can't be done on the fly. It can't be done halfway. It needs to be expected, validated, and factored in. It deserves the best, just as much as any role God gives us. As Dave and I came to realize the necessity and validity of the supportive spouse role. We realigned our expectations, redefined our job descriptions, and rescheduled our daily activities. While our family lived in the bush, I was the primary homeschool teacher. That's right, I was a homeschool teacher for our girls for five years. But when I went on clinic rounds, Dave took over as the substitute homeschool teacher. When he needed to go to the capital city for medical supplies or groceries, or if he went to a training center to teach a course, I remained home with girls. We became an experienced tag team, trading roles as needed. When we were on the field, I was the chief cook and bottle washer. I did the cooking and housekeeping. But when our family was on furlough, I worked in a hospital and studied for recertification exams and the roles reversed. My husband became Mr. Mom. He picked the girls up from school, supervised the homework, did the grocery shopping and the cooking. Communication, cooperation, organization, advanced planning, flexibility with backup plans were all essential to make it work. And yes, missionary kids get to do some really cool stuff. This is not a Olin Mills backdrop. This is my daughter riding horseback amongst the giraffe. Cool memory. The percentage of your time and energies that is divided between medicine and parenthood may vary from year to year, season to season, week to week, or even day to day. The point is that however you and your spouse divide the homemaking role, whether 50-50, 40-60, 90-10, the percentages have to add up to 100%. Because the supportive spouse role is valid, it's a full-time job, and it deserves your best, whether you're on the mission field or not. Can you combine medicine, missions, and parenthood? Yes, but you can't necessarily give all of yourself to all of your roles all the time. Which leads me to another lesson. Life comes in seasons. Let me repeat that. Life comes in seasons. Do you remember the story part where we moved first to the bush and we thought we could do it all? We thought we could do the preaching and the village teaching and the homeschool and the medical clinics. We had two small children. What were we thinking? 
Rebecca was three years old. Lauren was born in Kenya. Okay, that was a, that's a that was an experience, but that's another story. During the early years on the mission field, it was the season of small children. And believe me, the season of small children does not correlate to the season of reading medical journals. Here I was, fresh out of residency, getting a dozen of those free medical journals every month, which were stacking up on my desk, and so was the guilt, because I couldn't find the time to read them. Would you believe we hauled those bundles of magazines back and forth from continent to continent for several years until my husband finally convinced me to burn them, which I did. And as I lost track of reading medical journals, I also lost hope of ever being able to keep up in medicine. I could feel myself slipping as more and more information was forgotten and more new information about research and drugs was not getting incorporated into my knowledge base. I lost hope of ever being able to go back to medical practice in the USA. But as I released my selfish grip on medical knowledge and self-sufficiency, I learned God is faithful and life comes in seasons. The season of small children is not, in my humble opinion, the season for full-time medical work. When you're in your early seasons, you can't see those that lie ahead. But now that I've been through several seasons, please let me share some advice. The season of small children is shorter than you think it will be. They grow up fast. Don't let your children grow up without you. Sure, I understand when you have toddlers who are tugging on your shirt and rubbing their snotty noses on your jeans, you think this will last forever, but they grow up fast. And don't let them grow up without you. Our marriages and our children, they are our first priority and our first ministry. Marriages in our family are a higher calling than medicine or even missionary service. The season of medical journals did come during furlough as I studied for board recertification exams and will come again someday. But for now, I can't do everything I plan or want to do all the time. Remember, you can't give all of yourself to all of your roles all the time. Which brings me to my next point. Which brings me to my next point. Part-time is not a crime. Let me repeat that. Part-time is not a crime. When I was in medical school, there was definitely an overriding attitude that a medical career was supposed to absorb all my time and energy. The message I got from my professor's perspective was that part-time was not an option. And if I didn't commit my full self to medicine, then I was a nobody. I wasn't truly committed and my goals weren't worthwhile. Maybe you can relate. Unfortunately, 30 years later, I've heard from, from some of you, it's still a pervasive issue. Let me clarify. It's a warped perspective. 
The American medical culture is a driven culture. There are a million different options for how your medical career can play out. They all have validity as long as your career is in God's hands. Part-time is not a crime. Part-time or even zero time for a season are valid options. And just as life comes in seasons and part-time is not a crime, it's also true you can go back. You can go back from mission service or from part-time to full-time. So maybe you will have a season of small children or a season of homeschool. Perhaps you will have a season of service on a foreign mission field or a season of full-time medical work here in the USA. Maybe you'll end up having a season of caring for aging parents or a season of professional enrichment called going back to school to get some other certification. And in each season, you focus on a different role. But going to the mission field or taking some time out of medical practice for family is not career suicide. What you give to God, he will not return void. Let me explain. When I first went to the mission field, I assumed that I would never be able to return and practice medicine in the USA. It may seem like a silly idea, but I had a fellow OBGYN missionary friend who felt who had that same assumption. It was a fairly common assumption at that time, and she coined it career suicide. That by giving our careers to God for missionary service, we were cutting ourselves off from any future work in the USA. But what you give to God, he will not return empty to you. After four years in Kenya, we spent our first furlough in San Antonio, Texas, where our major supporting church was located. I got a job as a civilian pediatrician in an Air Force base working two days a week. I was one of a group of 12 part-time pediatricians staffing this acute care clinic. Sure, I was certainly uncomfortable at first, being so out of touch with American medicine, but within three or four months of working and reading, I was back in the swing of things. I was one of the group, and I learned that I can come back. I studied that year and passed the pediatric recertification exam. I learned a valuable lesson. God helped me to get through medical school. He had helped me to get through residency and to pass the internal medicine and pediatric certification exams in the first place. God had made a significant investment in my education. And what he helped me to attain, he would also help me to maintain. God helped me study and pass the pediatric recertification exam. The following furlough, he helped me pass the internal medicine recertification exam and the peds research exam the furlough after that. And I trust that he will help me pass the research exams again in the future as needed for his purposes. For our second furlough, I was invited to return to Vanderbilt University Medical Center where I had done residency. I was given a faculty position in the Department of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics. During furlough, I worked as an attending physician for medical ward teams and resident continuity clinics. Talk about a miracle. 
I came from eight years in the bush of Africa to being an assistant professor at the number 16 medical school in the country. Okay, that's just a testimony of God's sense of humor. Vanderbilt allowed me to keep my faculty status when I went back to the field. I offered an international elective where fourth year med students and residents came to work with me in the CMF Maasai clinics for a month of school credit. Third furlough, I was back in the Vanderbilt system, working at an indigent clinic and the Veterans Hospital Emergency Room and precepting medical students and residents. God allowed me to keep this relationship with Vanderbilt for 11 years. After spending eight years in the bush overseeing Maasai clinics in village locations, God moved us into the capital city of Nairobi, where our girls attended a Christian international school. I commuted out to the bush to provide medical services and oversee the Maasai clinics. God also spread my wings and sent me on several trips to other mission efforts, such as community health seminars in Tanzania and Ethiopia several medical mission trips to Afghanistan, and a worldwide health conference in Thailand. Being a Vanderbilt professor allowed me the chance to teach in China and Afghanistan. So I want to encourage you, get the best education you can, then keep your credentials and certificates valid. Get your CME, keep your licenses renewed, you never know how God is going to use your credentials to open doors. The season of Nairobi city living was far different from bush living, but afforded the chance to provide a better education to the girls. We also hosted more medical visitors. And in God's amazing timing, living outside of Maasai land actually encouraged the disengagement of the Maasai churches and clinics. Being physically absent on a daily basis became a vital step in the long-term process of turning over the work to local Christians. The Maasai clinics we worked with are still open and functioning and growing, all under the leadership of national Maasai partners. This is definitely a testimony to God's faithfulness. The Maasai Clinic system functions independently, has their own Kenya registration, and is self-governed. They let me stay on the clinic board as an honorary member. And Jason and I visit as often as we can. So what happened to the Snyder family? Where are they now? You may have noticed I refer to my first husband, Dave Snyder, but my current husband, is Jason Estep. May seem a bit incongruent. Which brings me to my next lesson. Real missionaries have real problems. My first husband, Dave, suffered from migraine headaches. Before we left for Kenya, he was treated with what was considered standard of care then, Imitrex, Finergan, and Percodan, a prescription opiate pain medication. He managed with his usual once monthly doses. He'd take a day or two to recover and life went on. He functioned very well. However, when we moved into Nairobi, whether from smog, diesel fumes, burning yard trash, or from job stress or reasons we'll never know, 
the migraines gradually escalated. Two a month, went to one a week, to two a week. Dave had taken Percodan once a month for 20 years without a problem, or so we thought. When he took it twice a week, physiologic tolerance developed. And before we realized it, he was addicted to the prescription narcotic pain medication. Being a medical missionary bestows a lot of honor and prestige, at least in Christian circles. Narcotics addiction? Oh, well, that's a diagnosis that carries a lot of stigma. It's also a disease that affects the whole family. It brings change in behavior and personality, betrayal and deception. It was all there. In April 2006, I realized I couldn't account for all the Percodin tablets that Dave should have had for a two-year supply. And I found receipts from a local pharmacy where Dave had gone to get vials of injectable narcotic, which he had acquired by writing his own prescriptions with my signature. That's forgery. And it's illegal. And if done in the USA, it could have cost me my medical license. Yes, the situation was bad. When confronted by our team leader, Dave agreed that he had a problem and consented to an inpatient drug treatment program in Nairobi. After the six-week program in Kenya, our family was brought back to the USA so he could continue drug rehabilitation and medical care. We had to leave Kenya urgently and unexpectedly. We moved across the globe to a town we'd never lived in before and in which we had no family. Our girls had to change schools, leave friends, say goodbye to pets. We left our work and ministry in the hands of others who weren't prepared for those responsibilities. We left suddenly, and the leaving was messy and incomplete. In a short span of six weeks, we lost our home, school, jobs, and identity. The losses were immeasurable. We were in crisis and remained in crisis for years. After a two-year medical leave, I took a job with CMF in the Indianapolis Home Office as Director of Member Care. I worked one day a week as an ER physician to make ends meet and keep up my medical skills. But despite six years of Narcotics Anonymous meetings, drug addiction therapy, marriage counseling, behavioral couples therapy, and family counseling, our marriage did not survive. I certainly made more than my fair share of mistakes along the way, being a codependent and broken. Opiate addiction destroyed our marriage and imploded our family. Addiction hit home. Real missionaries have real problems. Missionaries are real people, ordinary people. But the deeper we are in service, the more of a target we are to Satan. Mission service comes with a cost, and we truly are engaged in spiritual warfare. There are no guarantees in life, and no guarantees for missionaries that everything will turn out okay. The day the divorce was finalized, I was informed my job with CMF was ending. I was divorced and unemployed. That was a pretty tough day. But despite life's challenges, God promises to be present. He continues to work, to grow us, to mold us, and he promises to redeem and protect.
In that season of ashes after divorce, God graciously provided me with a full-time emergency room job, the income of which allowed me to support myself, pay off the mortgage, help my daughter through college at Johns Hopkins, and even care for my father in my home his last three years. And I was debt-free in three years. That's a miracle and a testimony of God's provision. So where am I now? Columbus, Ohio. And what on earth am I doing there? God continues his story of redemption in my life. God has given me a new husband, a new marriage, and a new beginning. Jason and I both love God and missions, and yet we are both in very secular jobs and we're firmly anchored in the USA for now. While Jason's career as an aircraft mechanic for the state of Ohio and mine as an ER doctor in suburbia don't obviously mesh as a partnership for missions, we still have missions as a goal, both overseas and at home. So what does missions look like at this season of life? First of all, we have to recognize what season we're in. Honestly, we are in a season of caring for aging parents. Jason and I are both only children. Neither of us has siblings to help care for our sets of parents. First with my dad, and now with my mother, we find that our parents have limited resources and need more help. When my stepdad died last year, we invited my mom to move in with us to stretch her funds and so we could help her more. She gets along in the house pretty well, but is no longer driving, cooking, cleaning, or doing laundry. She lives with us and I am her primary caregiver. And Jason is an angel for letting his mother-in-law live with us. We realize we can't take care of her in our home forever. At some point, she will need more help than we can provide. But she's living with us as long as she can. We're the sandwich generation, where roles are reversed and the parent becomes the child and the child the parent. Jason and I realize that caring for mom right now is our primary ministry currently. So how do we make mission service a reality in this season of life? The lesson we're learning is we serve within our capacity. Jason and I cannot live overseas full time right now. But instead of long term mission service, we focus on what we can do which is tithing to financially support missions through our church and short-term mission service by utilizing a facility for respite care or bringing in home caregivers for mom we're able to do short-term mission trips two or three times a year okay so maybe not in 2020 with COVID-19 but that's our goal for the last several years we have served with Samaritan's Purse in their program for wounded veterans called Operation Heal Our Patriots in Alaska. We go for two weeks each summer. I serve as the on-call doctor in this one-room dispensary, and Jason helps the maintenance crew. We've also really enjoyed some sightseeing trips while we're there. 
We've also made short-term medical missions trips back to Kenya and trips with our home church. Our church in Ohio is a Great Commission church and partners with Great Commission churches in Latin America, some of which have medical clinics as part of their ongoing ministries, or others host short-term medical teams to open doors into the community. In this capacity, Jason and I made trips to Honduras and El Salvador last year. We've seen how short-term medical teams can validate and encourage the national workers and provide opportunities to enter the local community to evangelize or to introduce people to the church and start relationships. When connected to the long-term ministry and used to augment the local church, short-term medical missions teams can have a huge positive impact for God's kingdom. We're also learning God is constantly preparing us for what he will bring next. I often wonder why God has me working in an emergency room here in the USA. I would rather be overseas in full-time mission work. But I look back and I remember how I got the job at the hospital in Columbus. It was truly a miracle, and I'm convinced that God opened those doors and provided the job. And so I believe I'm called to be there. But that doesn't mean it's been easy. The physician group that hired me lost their contract before I started. 75% of the doctors left, leaving those of us remaining very short-staffed. Hospital metrics and the push for productivity and efficiency to see more patients in less time and bill for more services and make more money, and all the while keeping patient satisfaction scores high, it's suffocating. Physician burnout is real. And unfortunately, I experienced burnout firsthand in 2018. And all the while through that, I questioned God why I was there. I don't have all the answers, but I have relearned that part-time is not a crime. And I'm cutting back my hours to survive and regain my physical and emotional health. Jason and I also realize that this is a season and it's temporary. In May of 2021, Jason will complete his required 31 years of service for the state of Ohio and be eligible for retirement and his full pension. On one hand, his commitment to secure his pension keeps us anchored in the USA for now, but it also allows us the time and financial resources to retire at a relatively young age. We're looking forward to ways that we can increase our mission service after we retire. And in the meantime, we've made some important financial decisions. For starters, we have not allowed our standard of living to accelerate to meet our level of income. We're trying to live frugally and save enormously. Sort of like Joseph's seven years of plenty preparing for the seven years of drought. We're putting over half of our income in retirement accounts, 401ks, IRAs, and savings, so that when Jason retires and we have time for mission service, we'll also have the financial freedom to go when and where God leads us. We're not allowing ourselves to be strapped to the typical American lifestyle that would necessitate a six-figure income. We also realize that all the money we have actually belongs to God. 
It's really his, and we're just stewards of it. All of our income and retirement accounts are ultimately meant to do good works for God's glory and benefit and to bring as many people as possible into heaven with us. That perspective helps guide how we're going to spend it. God is preparing us financially and even professionally. I can't help but wonder if my ER work is honing skills God will use in the future. Perhaps God will call us to serve in Samaritan's Purse Disaster Relief Team or the SP Emergency Field Hospital. Maybe God will want us to spend two or three months at a time in Kenya or some other world medical mission assignment. It's actually rather exciting to think about. Retirement is not a time to quit or just live for ourselves. It will be a new season of mission service. Medicine, missions, and motherhood. Can it be done? Yes, with God's help and grace. Should you consider it? Absolutely. If you give your career, family, and life to God, I promise you he will use it, fulfill it, and enrich it more than you ever imagined. I leave you with this verse from Ecclesiastes. Cast your bread, your career, and your family upon God's waters. For after many days, you will find it again. Thank you so much for listening.